That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. Yo, what's up? Thanks for tuning in today. I have a great guest in Kelly Fitzgerald joining the show today. Kelly is the creator and uh, writer over at Sober Senior Rita, and she's got a hell of a story to share with us today. Very honest and raw. Let me read you a little bit about her or what her life used to be like on the front page of SoberSeniorRita.com. It says, uh, the hottest nightclubs, the sickest parties, after hours clubs, and shot after shot after shot, always chasing the next high. That's what my life was like until I made the choice to get sober. YOLO, You Only Live Once, was my theme song, and I thought I was living every day to the fullest, but I was wrong. It's only now that I've chosen to live the sober life that I get to enjoy every moment and live my most authentic self each day. So we're going to talk with her in just a moment. I'm going to make this intro quick and to the point today. First, a word from our sponsor. At Foundations Recovery Network, our mission is to create lifetime relationships for long-term recovery. In our history of doing good is the promise of your future getting better. So if you or someone you love needs help, please know we are here to help. And the sign on our door says, we care. We create an individualized treatment plan for the whole person, for the whole you, because to us, you matter. The first step to recovery is heroic. We know that. And with our heroes in recovery movement, we honor those who have taken that step toward recovery and stand up for you and stand beside you and stand together to break the stigma placed on addiction. Call our confidential and private line at 877-714-1318. We are here to help you. And help has a phone number, 877-714-1318. Make the call. We're listening. We're Foundations Recovery Network. Now, are you looking for a sobriety app to track your sobriety? I Am Sober is a motivational companion app for tracking your sobriety. Along with tracking it, it helps you reach key milestones like seven days or one month or three months or nine months or 10 months or two years, wherever the hell you're at. And it also sends you daily motivations along the way. One of my favorite things that I often talk about today's daily motivation says, I am sober, staying strong, staying sober. Just those little, just those little uh, reminders in there can do so much for you. Now, you can also combine your stats with sober clubs and meet fellow sobriety seekers. You can find it on the App Store, Google Play, or you can visit IamSoberApp.com. Check it out. Be sure to head over to SoberGuy.com and join the Sober Guy community. Plenty of stuff going on over there. You can also join the private Facebook group, Sober Guy, Sober Girl, and get a free download of the six quick tips to quit drinking in 24 hours. Not a magic guide that's going to save your ass by any means, but just a few things I put together to help get you started on the right path if you're considering giving up alcohol or drugs. 
If you want to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash sober guy radio and you can pledge five bucks, five bucks a month. If a hundred people do that, that's 500 bucks and that'll help run this operation. I come out of pocket for this each month and the show is growing so fast that I literally can't afford to do it anymore. And I want to help keep this show free, all the content on it for those folks that are out there looking for a new alternative way to help you know, add a tool to their toolbox in getting sober and staying sober. So when you pledge five bucks through Patreon, you're not only pledging to Sober Guy Radio, but you're also helping to keep the content free for other newcomers out there who are trying to join and find something uh, suitable to them that will help them stay on track. Go check it out. It's patreon.com slash sober guy radio. It's a really cool service. I just made the, the page today. There's some other cool things on there. And also when you pledge that five bucks a month, I'll send out a keep your blood clean sticker to you so you can rock in your community and represent your uh, cleanliness and your sobriety in this new lifestyle. That's uh, just a great, a great way to live. One more time, that's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Sober Guy Radio. All right, let's do our iTunes review of the week, and then we're going to get to Kelly Fitzgerald. This first one is titled Living It, five stars. It says, great podcast, and most of all, this guy is living it. I must, I must listen to. Excellent communicator, authentic heart and voice. Keep it up. Thank you for that. Love it. The next one, Refreshing Perspectives. This comes from Arlena. It says, just stumbled upon the podcast today, and like a typical AA-er, I've listened to five episodes already. And one more we're going to do. This one says, awesome show. It's by In the Woods. Five stars. It says, totally helps to hear how other people deal with addiction. Let you know you're not alone out there. So thank you to the to those three folks who sent those reviews in. They help rank the show on iTunes. And I would uh, greatly encourage anyone else out there, if this show's helped you, go on iTunes and leave us a quick little five-star review on there. Now, let's get to our guest today, Kelly Fitzgerald of The Sober Senorita. Folks, welcome. Today, we're talking with Kelly Fitzgerald from The Sober Senorita. Kelly, how are you today? Hey, Shane. I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing very good. It's great to have you on the show today. Thanks for taking some time with us. Yes, yes. We're going to get into some recovery talk, hear a little bit about your story. Um, Yes. I'm going to start off with this quick question for you. What's the craziest, most ridiculous act of sheer madness you've ever experienced while drinking or using drugs? Oh gosh, there's been so many. It's hard to pick one. (laughs) I know it's always a tough one. (laughs) Um, I I lived in Cancun for five years, so there was a lot of craziness that went on there. Um, And also another crazy thing that happened was um, in 2010, I was at my college, went back for homecoming. And I ended up in the back of a cop car and I was in a blackout and I woke up and I just was like, oh my God, why am I in, a, in the back of a cop car? I need to get out of here ASAP. So there was a window cracked next to me and there was no police officer in the front of the car and I, and I jumped out <laughs> of the window. <laughs> no way. And they already <laughs> had my info and stuff and they like cited me the next day and, and lectured me. But yeah, that was pretty crazy. I don't yeah. know why. I, how did you, oh, so you just actually climbed out the window, Dukes of yeah, Hazard style like or open, what? It was like open like a crack, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, and I just like shimmied my way out. I lost a wow. shoe. <laughs> Ran home but, with one shoe and then sobered up yeah. the next day and probably said, what the hell did I do last night? Yes, exactly. Crazy, crazy stuff. Well, 
Um, you know, I'm interested to get to know you a little bit. We haven't got a chance to chat too much, so that's always an exciting thing for for my personal experience too to get to know whoever comes on the show. But also, of course, uh, to let our audience know a little bit about you, some of your triumphs, some of your struggles. Uh, maybe you can start with explaining who you once were and who you are today, Kelly. Sure. Um, who I once was was a lost girl, um, always looking for satisfaction outside of herself. Um, I always wanted to be part of the popular group of people. Um, ever since I was like a little girl, I always was like wanted to be invited to the birthday parties and I wanted to be included in everything. I wanted to hang out with the popular crowd. I wanted to do what they wanted to do. I wanted to say and dress like them and and stuff like that. And um, drinking really enabled me to be a part of their their crowd. And then eventually I took it to the extreme and, um, you know, I was a binge drinker. Um, I definitely have the physical allergy to, to alcohol where, where it led to blackouts and physical sickness and, um, hangovers that were just nasty. And every bad thing that happened to me happened while I was under the influence of alcohol and drugs. Mm. Um, so it really dominated my life. And then after I got sober, um, you know, I just felt like I finally was able to know the real me and sobriety has enabled me to really make something of my life, um, be a functioning member of society, be a good sister, daughter, partner to my fiance, um, and really like show up for every important person in my life. And it, um, has given me tons of gifts, like great jobs and, um, the ability to buy a house and, all kinds of awesome stuff. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And it um, it's definitely a game changer once we make that commitment. Um, although sometimes, you know, it takes us, uh, takes some of us a few times. And uh, unfortunately, I don't know if you have friends um, like I do that didn't get to have that second chance. So that's something I always keep in mind too. And mm-hmm. in doing the work that I do is, um, you know, I, I was lucky enough to get a second, actually a third chance, you know? And mm-hmm. so- Always try to keep that into perspective. Um, I have a quick question for you uh, regarding the kind of the past, um, you know, the, the old you, I guess. Would you say that growing up, was there any was there any issues? Was there anything in particular um, that may have affected you that made you want to escape reality? And the only reason I ask that is because I know for myself, I know for a lot of us, a lot of our listeners also, um, we've been through some certain something traumatic or a really unhealthy um living environment when we were kids that's a good example for myself was there anything Mm -hmm. like that for you growing up um sure i definitely grew up with alcoholism in my home um one of my parents was definitely a thriving alcoholic and i so i saw a lot of that behavior um and they were absent from my life for many, many years. And, um, I kind of learned about alcoholism that way. And I never wanted to be like that person. And then I turned out to be exactly like them. (laughs) So, um, it was kind of that I kind of just felt like I, I just felt like everyone had these directions to life and I never got the manual and I was like behind all my peers, I feel like in, in just knowing how to act in social situations, making friends. And it's kind of, it's kind of funny how we, 
I experienced the same thing. Like, I don't want to be like, you know, we, a lot of us say that too. Well, we don't want to be like our parents. And then like, I have two young kids and I'll find myself sometimes and I'll say something and I'll sound just like one of my parents. And I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> Why, why'd, right. you, why'd you just say that? Okay. I got to stop and recollect myself. <laughs> um, yeah. What a, so as you, as you saw what you saw growing up, um, living in an unhealthy, unpredictable environment, alcoholism, not a, not an easy thing to grow up in. Um, as you got, you know, maybe into your teenage years, um, what was that like for you? Um, when I got to my teenage years, I was curious about alcohol. Um, I knew that it was like, you know, present at all the parties that I wanted to be a part of because I was really interested in being social. Like I was labeled like a social butterfly eventually. Like I always wanted to be like around people, meeting new people, doing fun, spontaneous things. And, and that really involved alcohol most of the time. So, um, I tried it. Um, I think the first time I drank, I was like 16 or 15 and I had like four Mike's hard lemonades and I ended up throwing up right away. (laughs) So that was another like, like foreshadowing of how I would drink for the, for the rest of my drinking time. Um, and then I also started smoking weed. And as soon as I did that, I, it made me feel good and I kept doing it. And I always took things to the extreme. Like I always wanted to be doing something and going somewhere. And like, I always had to have something on my schedule. Super busy and trying to, yeah. well, I saw, I read too, that you, you said that kind of your mantra was, uh, you, uh, the YOLO, you only live once. Right. Right. So exactly. if you get that kind of wild and out attitude, especially at a young age, you know, we, we kind of think we know it all and we're just running wild, just living life to the fullest, but really we're just fucking up, you know? It's right. Like, and I, I crave that unpredictability. Like, oh, we never know what's going to happen or who you're yeah. going to meet or where you're going to end up. Like it's, it's fun and it's crazy um, until it's not anymore and it becomes dangerous and then you feel like crap afterwards. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, 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 so get to that a little bit when transitioning in from kind of the, the party scene, um, trying to just have a good time in, in high school, um, you know, high school parties, that kind of stuff. As you get out of high school, you get into college when, you know, talk about some times when it did, it started to get serious, started to get dangerous. Um, and, and, uh, maybe take us back to, you know, you waking up and just saying like, what am I doing? So in high school, you know, I dabbled here and there. It was really just like scratching the surface. Um, and then I couldn't wait to go to college because I was away from my parents. Um, I could do whatever I wanted. And I knew that there were tons of parties there. Like that's what college is for besides like, you know, going to class. <laughs> I know. It's kind of sad. It's kind of sad. It seems like that today too. It's like, let, let's yeah. go off to college so we can just get just get yeah. smashed and have a good time. And we'll okay, worry about the grades a later. Binge drinking issue all yeah. over the nation at college and universities. But that's a separate issue. Well, but, in, um, in, in your work do you, that you do, though, do you try to reach out to a lot of those organizations? That's something I've been I've been kind of looking into more yeah, myself. I try, yeah, I have some contacts in, in, contacts in the recovery communities at different universities. And, and um, you know, I try to share my story so that they yeah, know, like, yeah. there's another way. And, and, you know, there's some stuff like Sober Spring Break and sober house parties I've seen that are, are now starting to be a trend at colleges, which is awesome. So yeah, I think slowly yeah. there's being, there's a change being made. 
Yeah, that's super cool. At least there's some outlets and people are starting to talk about it because I agree with you. It's such a huge okay, issue. Yeah. And it's uh, I think the normalcy bias behind it is just it's so right there. It's like what everybody right. does. I, so. I really think that kept me drinking for a long time and like in a really destructive way because I thought it was normal. Yeah. And in college, like, you know, there's parties every night if you want to go to one. And um, I, again, you know, had that FOMO, like fear of missing out. Like I always wanted to be at every popular party because I didn't want to miss anything. And, um, and I just, and every single time I went to a party, I binge drank. Um, and so in college is when I started like blacking out and having nasty hangovers and not remembering what I was doing or where I was waking up. And, um, I just, you know, kind of brushed under, under the rug, like everyone blacks out. It's, it's fine. Yeah. It's normal. Everyone binge drinks and you were looked at as cool if you could do 10 shots <laughs> in as quick amount of time as you can or out drink the, the guys or like whatever. And I felt like important and cool. And I hosted a lot of parties at my own house when I moved off campus, like when I was a junior. And I felt very important. Like yeah. I have all the cool parties. I know where they all are. Like everyone knows me. It was like a status thing for me. Like a straight party celebrity, huh? Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, so after I graduated in December of 2007, I like didn't want to go into normal life. I was like, I don't want a nine to five. That's not fun. And I'm not ready to like deal with reality. Um, so that's when I uh, decided to move to Cancun because I went on spring break a few times in college and spring break is insane as well. And, um, there's companies that sell spring break trips to college kids and then they send their employees to work on site in these exotic locations like Cancun or Panama City Beach, Florida, mm -hmm. Punta Cana or all these places. And and so I, I had seen those people working when I went on spring break and I was like, oh my gosh, is this your job? Like this is the coolest thing ever. How do I get this job? <laughs> and I remembered because I graduated in December, which is like a abnormal time normally graduate in the spring and I was like I need to find something to do for the spring so that that popped up in my in my head and I was like oh I should apply to these spring break companies so I applied to the these companies and one hired me and they sent me to Cancun to work during spring break and it was totally insane like the craziest thing you can imagine like everything that you see on tv and, and crazier <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, you know, I loved it. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so awesome. And, again, it was like a status thing. I felt yeah. important because I was an employee. I got into any club I wanted to go into. I got into VIP. I got to meet DJs and all these um, artists. And I felt, you know, important and yeah. cool. And yeah. drinking went along with that. And the, blackout, the blackouts continued. The waking up in strange men's beds continued. Um so, so basically, so basically, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just no, want to get this straight. You, you rolled over and went to Cancun for spring break and you were <laughs> like, wow, I love this so much. I just want to <laughs> yeah. live spring break full time. And so then you just move there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's so funny that you say it like that because I used to get offended when people are like, oh, you're on spring break all year round. <laughs> When I, when I started to live there all year round. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. it's, I mean, I have a real life here. And I like got real offended. Like when really? people would say that, cause I'm like, it's only spring break for one month out of the year. And you know, it's not like that, but it, it totally was like that. Yeah. You were trying to give some validity to the fact that no, that's not, I guess that's a, yeah. it's almost a form of justification for your behavior in a sense. Right. 
Right. Exactly. That's crazy. That is so crazy. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Keep, keep going. Keep going. Yeah. So I lived in Cancun for about five years. Um, and again, I had always partied. I mean, I went through different waves of going out every night and then, and then I would get a boyfriend and only go out on the weekends and here and there. But when I did go out, I always binge drank. I always, almost always blacked out. And whoever um, was my significant other at the time would always like tell me like, okay, I don't think this is normal. Like I remember my one ex-boyfriend in Cancun, he was like, he's like, if the things that happened to you happened to me when I drank, I would never drink again. Like I'll never forget Mm -hmm. that, that line that he said to me. And I was like, what? And I at the time I was like offended. Like, how dare you don't judge me? Like all this stuff, (laughs) taking everything personally. And like, I'm like, again, try to justify it. Like, like everyone blacks out. It's normal. All the people that I hung out with kind of drank and used the same way I did. And it was very easy to find people like that there. Um, it's a tourist destination. So there's a lot of people that go there that are like running away from stuff. Oh. Um, you know, there's literally people that are like wanted in the U.S. that go and live there. Really? Um, and then there's people like me who just were like running away from reality and wanted to drink all the time. And feel important. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was like the perfect environment for myself at the time. Um, and uh, I met my my fiance and we actually met in a nightclub. Um, and he was a DJ and I was drunk, you know, like, oh, there's a DJ. He's hot. Um, and we connected and we were just friends first and this was in 2012 and that was like the year that I drank the most and used the most and um, we became friends and then we became romantic and um, my drinking kind of settled down a little bit because, um, you know, he brought up to me that my drinking might not be normal and then he moved in and we kind of like slowed down with the drinking even though him and I used to drink together a lot in our the beginning of our relationship. But we... Um, started, you know, just going out on the weekends. But again, I, I could only like, even when I went out once or twice a week, I would still always binge drink. I could never just have one. I didn't want to have one. Like that wasn't fun. Yeah. That's funny. I say that sometimes too. people I've heard, they say, well, let's go have a beer. I'm like, why do you want to have a beer? Let's have like 10 beers. Like what's the, what's the point? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I still to this day, I'm like, that doesn't sound fun for me, which is exactly why I never want to drink again. We, him and I were dating and, you know, he had to take care of me several different times. Um, and he just, every single fight we had was about like my drinking or me using cocaine, like him not liking that or having to take care of me or like he wanted to leave the nightclub and I wanted to stay late. And just, that's what we were fighting about all the time. And it was, um, destructive and toxic. And, um, eventually um, I had planned a trip to Punta Cana. Like I was going to go from Cancun to Punta Cana because, um, my best friends from high school were going for, um, a girlfriend of mine's bachelorette party. And we had planned the trip and it was like at an all inclusive resort. So obviously it was going to be a lot of drinking and it's a bachelorette party. Like that's what you do there. Yeah. And, um, that was in May of 2013 and I was still dating Fernando and, he was like, I don't want you to go on this trip. And I, of course, was like offended. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, uh, you don't trust me? Or like, you know, and I made all these promises to him. Like, I'm going to control myself. I know how I can control my drinking. I'll just have a few. I won't black out. It'll be fine. And I went on the trip. And, of course, like the second day there, I blacked out. 
And I ended up puking and my friends had to take care of me and they had to carry me back to the hotel room. And oh. I was horribly hung over the next day. And I obviously hadn't contacted Fernando. Like I had been texting him like every five minutes. So he knew I was like alive and not blacked out. Yeah. And, and he knew like I hadn't texted him for like the whole night or day when I was blacked out. So he knew like that that would be the only reason why I wouldn't be messaging him. So he hadn't sent me a message and it was like, okay, like I'm done with you. It's over. And I'm like, oh man, what the hell? And I was like throwing myself a pity party the like the last day I was there, but I continued to drink with my friends and like, but I felt so horrible. Like I felt so guilty and like full of regret and guilt and remorse and just totally icky. And I was like, man, I'm fucking up another relationship. Yeah. Like this is a pattern that I've been doing for years this guy really cares about me. Um, what the hell? And so, like, then in the airport on the way back to Cancun, I was, like, super hungover and just, like, by myself flying back. And I was going back to probably an empty apartment where he had moved his stuff out. And I, like, called my mom. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I, I'm, like, sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I don't know what the hell's wrong with me. Mm. And she was like nothing's wrong with you, Kel. Like you're an alcoholic. And I was like, Whoa. But I knew like deep down inside she was right. And I was so tired of like playing the games with myself, like trying to regulate my drinking, trying not to black out, trying to just drink one thing or just drink beer or just do this, just do that. Nothing worked. I was sick and tired of making empty promises to people I cared about, embarrassing myself in front of my friends from high school. Um, and that was like my moment of clarity. I was like, I just, I can't do it anymore. I'm tired. And I wanted to try something I had never done before, which was like be completely abstinent from all drugs and alcohol. And I decided that day in the airport that um, that's what I was going to do. And that that's my sobriety date, May 7th, 2013. Oh, nice. So you just celebrated three, three years. Yes. yes. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. That So that moment of surrender... Uh, yeah. that, that moment of, um, of the weight being lifted of, of just giving up. Cause I feel you on that. Like I'm my own worst enemy too. Like I'm the yeah. hardest on myself. I'm the, I'll beat myself up, you know, and, and like nobody else can. And so talk, talk a little bit about that moment, um, you know, of that full surrender when you just feel, even though you still feel like shit and you still know that there's a lot of work to, to be done ahead, like just that feeling of like it being lifted off of you. Right. I mean, I definitely, that was definitely my moment. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I really think I was like begging something for help, which I now say is like my higher power, like the universe. I just was like, please help me. I can't do this anymore, please. And, um, you know, I, I knew like I just had this innate feeling deep down inside, like I can't go on like this. And I know the only thing that's making me feel like this is drugs and alcohol. Um, so I knew from that moment I couldn't go on. Yeah, couldn't go on living like that anymore. No, yeah. that's just a, it's such an enlightening experience. And like I said, you know, there's, it's not, it, we, we both know it's not all, um, you know, like, hey, great, I give up drugs and alcohol, everything's fixed. I mean, there's a ton of work to do, but it's positive work right. and it's, it's positive changes that really make us the people who we are today. So let's kind of transition into that now. Um, mm-hmm. You started the Sober Senorita. Um, and you started writing, you started sharing your story. 
how did that kind of, um, how did that start? And then where take us to where it's gone to today. So when I got back to Cancun, I like, um, decided I wanted to be sober and I kind of did it all on my own. The first year I was like too scared or stubborn to even try a 12 step meeting. I was like, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. And I like dabbled in some online 12 step meetings and I just didn't really know what they were talking about. And I kind of felt like, I don't know, this is helping me. So I just kind of like stayed sober. I read a bunch of drinking memoirs and like addiction books and like recovery blogs and those really helped me and I, and they helped me know that I wasn't alone and that this is I'm not some weird person that's the only one feeling like this cuz that's mm-hmm. pretty much how everyone feels. Yeah. Um and that really helps me get through and then at 8 months sober I started my blog and it just it started out to be a blog about me living in Mexico like American girl living in Mexico um and I had a lot of friends in Cancun who were expats who were living there from different countries like Canada and Australia and US and they had blogs like similar with similar premises and um, actually I had a job working uh, for a group of hotels and I did like blogging and social media for them and my coworkers were like you should start a blog because your blogs for work are really good and I was like all right sure so I wanted to start something that was like Mexico and then I was like I want to incorporate sober because I'm eight months sober and it's like my new life now um and actually, my sister came up with the name. She, I was, she was helping me think one night, and she was like, "I think sober senorita, it's perfect." Yeah. It's like Mexico, Spanish, and being sober. <laughs> so I was like, "All right, I like, I like it." Um, so the first few months, I just wrote about like living in Mexico and what I would do on the weekends, and I kind of just casually mentioned that I didn't drink. I didn't really say why. I didn't write write about recovery or anything until I reached one year mm-hmm. sober, and. Um, that's when I wrote like my one year without alcohol post. And, um, I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I made it to a year. And I really wanted to like get my feelings out, um, in this blog. And I just was like kind of writing it for me, like selfish reasons. Like, like I just want to get this out of me because I feel so like happy and emotional. Did you feel like you had a, did you feel like you had a little like foundation to stand on now too? Like you had, yeah, you you, kind of like your head's a bit cleared after a year you know, I, and I keep, I I keep I, reiterating this, like, you know, there's still a ton of work to do, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I have like some clarity now to kind of move right. forward. And, and I, I'm learning about who I am now. Right. The first few months, you know, it was so emotional. I didn't know if I was like coming or going and I was like still very lost. So I felt like at one year I really had a better idea of like what I was doing and who I am. And, um, I wrote this post and I selfishly, you know, put it out on my blog, just thinking, oh, let's, like, this feels good to get off my chest. Um, and then it, like, the response I got was insane. Like, it was republished by the Huffington Post. It's been translated into five languages. Um, it went viral on the internet. Like, my face was po- posted all over the internet. And I, like, couldn't believe it. I got so many nice messages and emails from people, strangers, and from friends and family who had like no idea what I was going through and they were like, Oh my gosh, like this is amazing. Or, or I felt the same way or like, it's like, you're taking my thoughts and writing them down. (laughs) So like everyone could relate. And I was just so surprised and like pleasantly overwhelmed that there were other people feeling like I was. So it was crazy. 
Yeah, that is that is cool, and it's just a feeling of like, man, I'm not going through all this crap for nothing either. Like, in the, yeah, it's like gives you a little bit of of hope. Like, okay, well, at least there was a reason that I've kind of experienced this, and now I'm trying to come out on the other side and help some other people. So, yeah, um, I mean, as soon as that post went, out, I was so happy that I wrote it because at, at first I was like, oh my god, it's getting all this attention. Holy yeah. crap! Should I should I have published this? And then I'm like, yeah, it's, it's helped so many people. Like, I definitely think it was meant to go out there. What, so. what is the name of the post and where, where could um, we find it at? It's on my blog, SoberSenorita.com. And it's, um, the title is One Year Without Alcohol. Um, it's also been republished on the Huffington Post. And on their site, it's called Seven Things I Learned During One Year Without Alcohol. Got it. Got it. That's a, that's, that's a great resource right there for anyone out there listening. Who's maybe coming up on a year or, yeah. you know, who, who knows, maybe they're just trying to get sober, but just get some clarity and some insight um, from, you know, a different perspective. So, uh, so I, I understand too, we, we both kind of have, um, have worked with some, some, some of the same uh, organizations and, and great resources like sober nation and foundations mm-hmm. foundations recovery network is a um, sponsor of that sober guy podcast. I, uh, I saw that you're doing the Heroes in Recovery, the 6K coming up. Uh, talk a little bit about yeah. that and um, and what you're looking forward to about that. Sure. Well, last year was the first year I did the, the Heroes in Recovery 6K. They have one here in South Florida. And it's just a great event. Um, you know, it's really about um, the heroes who are all of us in recovery who, you know, make that heroic act of staying sober every day and choosing recovery because it's really something that you have to choose every single day. And it's a 6K instead of a 5K to represent the extra mile or the extra kilometer that we must go in recovery um, to make that choice every day. And it, and the, the six is also for the six letters and heroes. Um, and it's just a great event. I felt really emotional running it last year because it was like the first time. I mean, I run races a lot, uh-huh. but this is like, you know, my people. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm in recovery. Yeah. <laughs> I'm running with these people. Yeah. And there was tons of, you know, family and friends of people in recovery too, but it just felt really good to like be one of one amongst many. And it yeah. was awesome. Yeah. I will, I will definitely be planning on that one, uh, in the San Diego one next year yeah. for sure. Cause that, that just inspires me hearing you talk about it, just the support there, the passion around recovery and, and being with, you know, a group of other people who have experienced um, similar things is really powerful. If you had to give some advice to a newcomer, to somebody listening who is on the verge, they're not sure which way to go, where to start, uh, what could you tell them? I always say for the newcomer, like getting sober is is the right decision. Because I think for a while you question like, is it for me? I don't know. There's so many unknowns. And it's like really like for me when I thought chaos and drama had become like my normal and my comfort zone, but really you can make a new comfort zone and the unknown is so much better than the, the known that you have been experiencing for many years and that you don't have to feel that pain every day, that there is an existence where that pain is gone and you just experience life on life's terms. That's not to say that you'll never experience any grief or sadness or anger, but you'll have the tools to deal with it. All right. So we're going to try this out, Kelly. We're going to call this the heart and hustle round. So you're going to put your heart into each answer, but we're going to hustle through it in about 30 seconds or less. All right. Okay. All right. So yeah, you try, try your best. It's all good. (laughs) Number one, where is the weirdest place you've ever thrown up? And where is the weirdest place you've ever woken up? 
Oh God. Uh, on the street in Cancun <laughs> thrown up. Um, weirdest place I've woken up. I don't know. Probably the cop car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then slid out the window. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Number two, what is the best thing about being sober? Best thing about being sober is being able to be in a loving and committed relationship and being That's able awesome. to love others. Number three, what is one thing you know now you wish you would have known at the beginning of your sobriety? That sobriety um, is not boring and that it's worth every, every second and every day that you put into it. Um, and that I don't have to feel sorry for myself that I can't drink because in the beginning I, I really felt sorry for myself. Number four, how do you stay sober? So what are, what are some of your daily routines? What does your program look like, Kelly? Um, I attend 12 step meetings like two or three times a week. Um, and you know, exercise is a huge part of my recovery. I CrossFit, I play soccer, um, and I get outside, definitely feel more connected and spiritual when I'm in nature, when I'm at the ocean or even just sitting in my backyard and I like to meditate. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And actually I'm going to go against my own rules in this 30 seconds or less because I can, and I want to <laughs> bring this up real quick. Cause I think it's so cool and it's, it's, it's very relevant, um, to being able to stay sober. So you've mentioned a couple times, um, that, you know, the six K, um, the, the exercise, soccer, things like that, things that you can do, um, to number one, you stay healthy, but also you stay active. And that seems to be a big part of people's recovery who are successful with it. Um, how has that really helped you to, to stay sober and to really stay focused? Um, I think for me, it's, it's a huge part of my recovery because, um, it really keeps me sane. I, I need a psychological outlet for all of my emotions, like, and being at CrossFit and working as hard as I can and sweating more than I care to really talk about. And, <laughs> and just like, you know, that mental, like being in a, in a place where I exert as much physical energy as I can, it really helps my mind. Um, yeah. And it also keeps me on a schedule. Like I go to 8 a.m. CrossFit every single day during the week. Um, every Sunday morning I play soccer. Um, you know, it's a, it's a reason that I get up in the morning early you know, start my day. And I love to start yeah. my day with that stuff because I, I have energy yeah. all day. Um, and it really keeps my head straight. How, how great is it to wake up every day and be excited about what the day brings? I don't know if you're anything like me, but I literally like this morning, my ass got up at three 30 in the morning. Don't ask me why I don't have to be <laughs> up that early, but God's just like, your ass is up, get out of bed and do your thing. And it's just, it just happens sometimes. And it's like genuinely exciting to do that. It's genuinely exciting to just wake up and be alive every day, totally. which is something that I never felt before ever in my drinking days. I would sometimes wake up, be alive, and be mad about that. <laughs> oh, wow. So yeah. today, it's like amazing. Every I still thank the universe every single day when I wake up and I'm like, I'm not hungover and this is amazing. Like yep. I never have to feel that shitty ever, ever again. Yep. Where can listeners find out more information about you, about Sober Senorita? Where can they find you, Kelly? They can find me um, on my website, SoberSenorita.com, and on Facebook, The Sober Senorita.